Thank you for tuning in to the Maximum Advisor podcast. If you're a growth-minded financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, you're in the right place. Your host, Chip Munn, brings tips and best practices based on his experiences and has guests from financial advisors to industry experts sharing wisdom with one another because we're better together. And now, Chip Munn. Welcome back to the Maximum Advisor Podcast. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm excited to be joined by Mindy Diamond. Mindy is the president and CEO of Diamond Consultants. She's also the host of Mindy Diamond on Independence, a great podcast for advisors, and has written a monthly column in wealthmanagement.com since 2004. Mindy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. And I, if it's okay with you, Chip, I'd love to let people know that I have a real soft spot for Chip. One, because I think he's a talented advisor. But two, I had the privilege and honor of working with Chip as he made his move from his previous broker dealer to where he is today at Raymond James. And so I'm thrilled and honored to be here. Well, thank you. I, you know, I was going to say, I have the benefit of, of having known you from you're as far as I'm concerned, Mindy, the the power of content marketing is, is very real because for a lot of advisors, I won't speak for all of them, but I'll speak for me. It's not something that I typically do is take cold calls. But after having read your stuff for years and years back at, at my previous home, when somebody told me that you were on the phone, I couldn't help but take the call. So it just goes to show you. What a powerful tool, putting yourself out there like you did in wealth management, uh, I guess previously, was it previously registered rep? Yeah, so wealth management, before it changed its name, was Register Rep Magazine. And I have to tell you that my approaching what was Register Rep at the time and now wealth management was not born out of my being some content marketing genius. In fact, I don't have a marketing background. It was born out of the fact that I felt like I was having conversations with advisors every day. They were all curious about the same thing, still are. And there wasn't a place in any of the publications that was talking about the things that were on advisors' mind or what advisors most wanted to know about, i.e. what's going on in the recruiting landscape. And it was also born of the fact that I realized that I liked to write. I sort of had a a creative itch that wasn't really being satisfied elsewhere. And the combination of the two made it great. And then it was only two years ago that I launched this podcast. And that's really moved the needle in terms of content marketing. But again, born of a desire to educate and answer a lot of the questions that we were getting from everyone as well as a desire to be creative, to exercise sort of my creative DNA. Well, I can certainly relate. I did a little bit of writing early on, kind of on the client-facing side. And after being an avid listener of a lot of podcasts, yours included, it just seems to be a medium that, that I really enjoy. And I enjoy, like you said, the creative part. And so this gives me a good a good outlet. And hopefully it helps people. You know, I, I get good feedback and enjoy the opportunity to ask uh, questions of experts like you. Now, as you mentioned, you were really instrumental in our finding our next home 
How did you get started in recruiting? How, how did that become a thing for you? Yeah, so um, I love that question just because it's always fun to talk about your past and think about how far you've come. So I graduated from the George Washington University in 1984 with a degree in accounting. And like every good accounting student, I was lucky enough to get a job with a big eight public accounting firm, which was the pinnacle of an accounting job in those days. Got a job with what was Ernst & Winnie, now Ernst & Young. I lasted about eight months there and hated it. I just hated everything about it and took an opportunity with Lever Brothers to go into private accounting, so corporate accounting. I hated that even more. I lasted about a year and a half there. So now I'm two and a half years out of school and thinking, I just gotten married. We were living in New Jersey. I was commuting to New York and said, if I have to do a job that I hate, I may as well do it closer to home. So I went to an executive search firm looking for an accounting job in New Jersey. And the recruiter who interviewed me said, oh, honey, you have such a good personality. You shouldn't be an accountant. You should be a recruiter. And lo and behold, with a lot of arm twisting by my husband, who was now my partner in this business, and this recruiter who had interviewed me, I said, what the heck? I'm young. I can always go back to accounting. Why not? And from the first phone call I made, I just loved it. I knew it was what I was meant to be doing. Did that for about seven years and then started this business 21 years ago on my bedroom floor. And it's really grown to where we are today. Well, and it, you know, one of the things that drew me to to you and to Howard uh, was your process. And, and so, one of the things that when I think about advisors in transition, it, it can be a really scary time. You spend a lot of time talking to folks who are either considering it uh, or going through kind of the throes of it. What what would you consider to be? I mean, kind of walk us through, Mindy, your your thought process on on how advisors should consider making a change? What all should go into that kind of um, process? Yeah, so the word process generally sort of makes my skin crawl just because it feels like it's a scheme or a strategy that, you know, sort of one size fits all. And when it comes to thinking about the biggest decision in one's professional life, sometimes the biggest decision of your life, meaning do I stay where I am or go elsewhere, where am I best served for my business, it shouldn't be about a process. But still, the word process is something we think about as a customized sort of thought process around starting with, beginning with the end in mind. So it's a strategic process. Again, I hate the word process, but it is what it is. And it's a strategic process that we begin by asking advisors a series of questions, a self-assessment, if you will, that helps them to tell us, to convey to us, and a lot of time to get greater clarity for themselves on what do they want to be when they grow up? How do they want to live their business life? Here are the things that are frustrating me. And here's the extent to which they're frustrating me. Because by the way, it's not enough just to be frustrated it has to be a significant enough frustration that it's worth going through the hassle of a move. And what are my goals? What is it I'd like to accomplish in my business that I feel I can't where I am? And how independent would I want to be? And how much support do I need? And how important is transition money? And lots, and we have a trademarked 
process, if you will, a set of questions around helping advisors to think through these big decisions. The And the answers to those questions, the sum total, help to point us and certainly the advisor in the direction of one, how motivated are they to move at all? How appropriate is it to move? How necessary is it to move? And what do they want to be when they grow up? Do they belong going to another major firm? Do they belong being fully independent? Do they belong plugging into an existing independent firm like yours, et cetera? So that's really the method behind our madness. And any of your listeners who would like me to send them our self-assessment, I'm happy to do so. They can reach out to me directly. But then beyond that, then it's about educating the advisor on the waterfall of possibilities and the waterfall of possibilities of how and where a successful advisor can practice has really expanded a lot in the last number of years. So one, I'd say if somebody hasn't looked in a while, it's a good time to poke your head out, not necessarily to move, but to get a better sense of what the options are and to know from a position either of greater strength that you want to recommit to your firm or that in fact there's a better option elsewhere. In fact, I should say I'm in the process of writing a book as we speak that I hope to have done in the next six months or so. And that book will be all about how do you think through stay versus go and this thought process behind whether it be making a move or thinking through what the ideal career scenario looks like. And then once once they've been educated about what the options are, if you've done a good job, if I've done my job in helping them to really answer the questions to get clear on what they want to be when they grow up and what's motivating them, then the short list of options to consider is pretty easy. It's pretty obvious. It's, it's, it's pretty apparent. And then it's about having the advisor help us determine, you know, how they want to attack it. Is there enough interest to take meetings, meaning to expend the energy to explore elsewhere? Is it more just good information, thank you for sharing, but there's not enough meat on the bone to make me want to disrupt my business to A, move, but B, even do some exploration or anything in between. So each step of the way is customized based upon what's up to the advisor, but that's sort of the process in a nutshell. Well, it sounds to me like a, a little bit like a choose-your-own-adventure book. I mean, you, you have the book written, but based on each of the different kind of the questions that you're asking, as advisors answer those questions, it, it tells them to flip to a different page with your help, and, and you point them in the right direction to, based on each answer, some of the different next steps. I, I know that that's kind of how it was with us. You, you mentioned begin with the end in mind, and, and I think that that really says a lot to uh, us. It, oftentimes, it's a little bit like the cobbler's kids with no shoes. You know, we advisors, we spend all day helping other people kind of figure out how to live their best life. And we don't necessarily always spend as much time figuring out what it is that, that our best business life looks like. What, what do you see out there in terms of what advisors are looking for, what kind of reasons do you see that they come up with as to why they might consider making a move? So I think, you know, look, there are as many specific reasons to move as there are advisors who have them. So everyone's motivation might be a little bit different. I mean, it could be a personal reason, like I went through a divorce last year and I need to move because I need to monetize the business. And that's certainly not the best reason to move, but we've heard that too. 
But generally speaking, the reasons people move are because there are there's a series of pushes and pulls driving them. The pushes meaning a series of frustrations that are motivating them, that are impacting them enough or limiting them enough that they realize they're not living their best business life or best serving their business, their clients where they are. And then there needs to be an equal amount of pulls, meaning motivations, excitement about going elsewhere. So one, it's, it's a series of frustrations that for a lot of folks in the traditional space in the brokerage world has to do with too much bureaucracy and lack of control and leadership that has really changed the cultural dynamic. Those are kind of the big things. And then, you know, the polls, the biggest thing today is interest in independence. And it doesn't mean that everybody goes independent, but as the landscape of the industry has expanded, the opportunity to look at many different versions of independence. So Chip, you and your partners were ultimately entrepreneurial and were big enough in terms of amount of assets under management and courageous enough and entrepreneurial enough to be the right folks to go out and launch your own independent firm. But the vast majority of advisors are not that. And when they're not, what's exciting about today is that there are a lot of different versions of independence. So you can get a lot of the benefits of independence, the freedom, flexibility, and control of it, but without having to go through the brain damage of building something from scratch. And one of those opportunities is even to potentially join a firm like yours for somebody that says, you know, I'm interested in growing. I'm feeling limited where I am. I like aspects of independence, but I don't want to do it by myself. No question. Well, I can remember when I first thought about the independent space years and years ago, the only person that I knew who was, and I'm, I'm kind of throwing air quotes, independent, literally worked from a finished garage at his house. And so it's just a, I think the industry has changed an awful lot over the last decade in particular to a place where really you have the ability, if you want to, whether it's to go, like you said, full on and and build out kind of your own company or to plug in with somebody who has, it's just a much different space these days than it had been. Well, unequivocally, I mean, unequivocally, the ecosystem, most importantly, to support the breakaway advisor, aside from being there, there being an exponentially multiplied number of firms for an advisor to consider, the ecosystem of service providers, platform firms, consultancies, capital providers, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on, product providers has expanded exponentially. All of that makes independence in any form a much more valid choice. Certainly. The biggest thing, though, that I remember is the fear. There's a, a certain amount of, you know, for every ounce, if you will, of excitement that you have, there, there's an equal amount of fear of, of how this thing is going to go. I equate it to kind of taking your business and throwing it up in the air and trying to catch it all before it. That's kind of how it can feel from the, the advisor perspective. But I've seen it done now. Not only have we done it, but I've seen it done and worked with people who've done it really, really well. What are some of the uh, mistakes, though, Mindy, that you've seen people make? If you wanted to say to, to somebody who's considering making a move, just don't do this, what would this be? 
Well, I think for one, you need to be brutally self-aware. So don't kid yourself would be number one. Know thyself. Be really honest about how entrepreneurial you are. Be really honest about what your core competencies are, what you like to do and what you're good at, and how you would think about solving for where there are gaps. But it's also being honest about your relationship with your clients because that fear is real. I mean, absolutely, when you're moving at any level, no matter where you're going, no matter how wonderful a transition team, a firm that's recruiting you is promising you, at the end of the day, you are putting your business up for bid. You're having to re-solicit your clients. So one, you need to be darn sure that the whatever value proposition that you're going to be pitching your clients now of the firm you're going to can really be put forth from the perspective of what's in it for them so that the advisor, the advisor recruit is clear that the message they will to deliver to their clients, I'd like you to follow me to XYZ firm, is really valid bullet points that are all from the perspective of why is it better for this client to move with me. So number one, you need to make sure that the value proposition is buttoned up and one that will appeal to clients. The second thing is being really self-aware and honest about how the depth of your relationship with your clients. There's any question about the likely portability, the trust, the depth of relationship I would encourage anyone to seriously consider a move and likely better to stay put because a move is, should never be, a move should be accretive. It should never be about starting from zero and building again. It's about building on what you're already doing. So if you're not sure that the firm you're going to can offer something, a better mousetrap for your clients and that your relationship with your clients are solid, I would say a move is probably not in your best interest. No doubt. Uh, One of the things that we kind of get asked uh, a lot, particularly as it it pertains to the independent space, is the importance of, and I remember you and I talking about this, the importance of kind of the deal, you know, the upfront deal. When you're talking to an advisor about the difference between, say, going the wirehouse route and taking some sort of upfront deal versus the long-term benefit of independence. What is your kind of um, theory or philosophy on how somebody might choose between kind of what seems to be two different options? Well, so one is rooted in the know thyself and be self-aware. Understand the real motivations behind a move. If you're someone that only values or values most, and I don't say this as a pejorative, but it's true, if what you value most is the short-term upside in a deal, the ability to, to take significant chips off the table, then going independent is, not, is probably not the right route for you. Why? Because independence is all about being long-term greedy. It's about valuing the upside, better payout, you know, the ability to build an enterprise that you can sell on the open market someday. But it's, it requires a, a leap of faith. It requires confidence. It requires a willing to take some risk. And it requires to forgo short-term upside for the long-term. So the, that's rooted in what's most important to you. What do you value most? But beyond that, that's the most important thing. But beyond that, I'd say if what's most important to you, if the you know, superior take-home economy of independence, if 
the building enterprise value, if what independence stands for is more important, then number one, as this ecosystem has been born, has been built out more to support the breakaway advisor, there's many ways to create liquidity for a potential breakaway that didn't exist 10 years ago. So it's not that if you want to monetize, there's no way to do it or it's mutually exclusive from going independent. It's just you're not going to get the kind of money that a major firm, a Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch would offer you. But secondly, it's really being honest about what you value most. And for you, when you and I were talking, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I say it was abundantly clear that while who wouldn't want to get a ton of upfront money and de-risk a move, and it's not that you were like, you know, I'm independently wealthy and I don't care. It's just that when we talked a lot about what was most important to you, it was clear that you were you had entrepreneurial DNA that was not being satisfied as an employee, and you had a vision to build something that you couldn't as an employee. And whether somebody offered you a million percent deal that still wouldn't have solved or or, or helped you to to sort of become what you wanted to become. No, you can't fight who you are. And I think, you know, you you said earlier, be self-aware. I think that you really have to be because otherwise you you end up, I've talked to quite a few advisors who've made a move and within a couple of years, they kind of feel stuck because what they thought that they wanted ended up not really kind of panning out, whether it's because, you know, their company went through a merger or, you know, some policy is just not as friendly as as folks told them it would be. And I think that you really have to be willing to be honest with yourself about it. For me, I'm somewhat unemployable to an extent in that, you know, I couldn't help it. A lot of the advisors that we work with feel that way, but they don't want to do it all. And you've seen many, many people, Mindy, start uh, new companies like ours. And it's just a lot of work. One of the reasons that we built Signature was kind of built it out was after going through the process, you realize how much different it is to sign the front of a paycheck versus the back of a paycheck. And we wanted to be able to, to have uh, a way for folks to be able to get some of that without having to endure all of that, not to make it a, a commercial about us, but I, it's very much true that, you know, if you'd asked one of my partners, uh, he may have been fine not doing it. Thankfully for me, he went along with what felt like a crazy idea at the time, but it's it's one of those things that you really have to be comfortable in either direction. That's just kind of my, I remember you talking about moving from versus moving to, and, and I've said that a bunch to people. I will begin attributing it to you. I had forgotten where I got it from. Steal away. You, know, you have to have an idea of what it is that that you really are trying to accomplish. And, and money, for me, having made a move, money's only a part of that, right? Because that the money, it, by the time you take into uh, how those deals work and the forgivable loans and those kinds of things, for me at least, they just weren't as attractive having done it one time and seen that. It, they just weren't as attractive as they may be to some others. When you look, Mindy, at, let's say we go to the other end and an advisor with, I don't know, 10 years or less, who is really kind of trying to to figure out whether or not it's worth it to make a move. How long is too long 
to wait. If you're an advisor who's considering making a move, maybe you do or you have a succession plan or you, you haven't quite figured that out, what's the ideal ramp time to partner with somebody else to make a move uh, if you were closer to the end of your career than to the beginning? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know that there's necessarily an ideal time. There is certain or, or a formulaic amount of time. I think certainly if you are on a glide path to retirement and you don't have a succession plan, you likely want to be very serious about solving for it, figuring out what your succession is going to be at least five years, maybe more before you're actually ready to go out because the closer you are to retirement, to getting out without having solved for succession, the less your business will be worth to a buyer, number one. Number two, you need to be able to give yourself, your clients, and your business enough time to get used to the idea that the business has transitioned and then, in other words, you don't want to foist two changes on that client in a short period of time. So move and then you transition out with as much lead time as you possibly can. But I think that the notion of solving for succession is probably the hottest topic on everyone's mind. The industry in general has a succession crisis as older advisors, the average advisor age is 57 and growing and rising. And, you know, there is, we're having trouble as an industry bringing in the next gen, the younger gen. So one, there's not enough successors to go around. But two, if you're an advisor that works for a big firm, a brokerage firm, those firms are working very hard to tie advisors up, to incent as many advisors as possible to sign on to those succession programs, the retire in place programs. They offer some pretty compelling numbers to do so. The problems with them are, with those programs are, that there's no free lunch, number one, and they're exceedingly punitive, draconian, for the next generation inheritor. So if Merrill Lynch, for example, just came out with an enhanced version of their retiring advisor program, and the enhancement means that a retiring advisor who signs his business over to Merrill can get paid more over time. But Merrill is only financing 20% of it, and the other 80% is being paid out of cash flow from the business. But at the end of the day, the advisor inheritor doesn't own the business, so he's paying 80% of the business, 80% of a retirement price for a business he ultimately doesn't own. So, and second of all, he's more importantly almost, he's signing on by doing so for the next seven years at least binding himself to a firm, to a place where he has little control for the next seven years. And so advisors need to, and I'm not saying that it's bad to sign on to those programs. It's just very important because th there is more opportunity outside of your current firm than ever existed before. I think that it's very wise, and I'm not selling people, not making this an advertisement for using me or for making a move, for sure not. But I am saying that because there's more possibilities or options for advisors to consider than ever before, it is incumbent upon advisors to at least get educated about what their options are, even if they have no intention of moving. But before you're going to re-up your or your team's commitment to your firm, you need to make sure you understand what you're giving up. It's funny. When, when you 
started mentioning retire in place, I was I like to just write down kind of what is it acronyms, and, and the acronym for retire in place is RIP. <laughs> and, and it it really just reminded me, you know, of those old cartoons with the uh, with the tombstones, because in a way, the entrepreneurial spirit it seems uh, of that business kind of died. I mean, you you kind of sold it to the company, and um, you know, it seems to me like that that could hamstring, like you're saying, those those younger kind of successors could really put them in a uh, a difficult kind of situation down the road. No, no, for sure putting them in a difficult situation because the more you take away their optionality, the more expensive they are to recruit. And the more expensive they are to recruit or acquire, the less value their business has. And that's all bad. So aside from taking taking away optionality, they're signing on at a time where their firm has all the control. They're signing on. It's not like the firm saying, so you're signed on for seven years and we guarantee you X, X payout or that we guarantee not to make to, to maintain the status quo. They're not saying that at all. They're saying sign on and we still have the right to make whatever changes we want to. Yeah, and seven years in our world is an awful long time. So many things change and, and have changed. Uh, speaking of which, uh, and I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I, a couple of more recent events I want to get your perspective on, kind of speaking uh, in terms of change. Here, here lately, Mindy, it seems to me like there have been some kind of insurance heavy advisors who seem to have been going um, RIA lately. Is that is that because some of the platform providers, InvestNet and others, are starting to offer insurance now. What what do you attribute that change to? Well, in part, it could be because this expanded landscape, this expanded ecosystem, has with every day that passes and every new model that's born, there are models being born that can support businesses that they may not have been able to as robustly years before. So, using the example of an an insurance-focused advisor, perhaps it's true that years ago, there just weren't as many options for that advisor. So that's number one. That's the the pull side, what you're running to. But on the push side, typically when we talk to an advisor coming from an insurance-heavy broker-dealer, the biggest reason the advisor looks to move is because they have real interest in developing more of a holistic wealth management practice. And the investment opportunities available to them in an insurance-focused broker-dealer are just limited and not robust enough. So these folks look to move to get out from under sort of this limited place and be able to have access to a more robust solution set for clients. Completely makes sense. And and I would think the continued expanding of or expansion of options also lends well to folks in those other kind of parts of the broker-dealer space who still may have you know, a fair amount of insurance business, not only the independent model, but the RIA model as well. So speaking of kind of from the one you know bigger news of late is the, the Schwab and TD merger. Do you have any, any thoughts on that, how, it, how it'll play out? Really kind of what's in the works from, uh, from that deal? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, the devil will be in the details and there are a lot of details that haven't been worked out and we're talking about a deal that doesn't close for a year or so. So there's still much to be determined or much that we don't know. As a whole, 
I think that it's probably good for the RIA space. It gives Schwab a market cap that once the deal is done, that will now be bigger than Goldman or Morgan Stanley and some other, you know, heavy hitter name brands. It, it will give Schwab 17 billion in annual revenue, likely 7 billion or 8 billion in pre-tax net income. And so I think, you know, this is an industry that's all about scale. It will give them ultimate scale and scale ultimately is a good thing for advisors because the more scale the custodian has, the better their pricing is, the more they're able to invest in and innovate. I mean, I think ultimately it's good for the industry as a whole, but a lot of the details, who knows? Sure. Uh, Well, it's interesting. It's, I guess, kind of part of the theme of what I'm hearing you say is there are just a lot of options these days and more and more kind of by the minute speaking from experience and again this isn't a commercial uh for mindy but you know i can certainly speak to the the process of having somebody uh to help sort through those things being a a big big help and and really just somebody who knows all of the different capabilities of the different uh, organizations is a real it, it was a real asset to us and made things a lot easier as we were trying to figure out to use your term, Mindy, what it is that we want to be when we grow up. So that was a big deal. So kind of wrapping up, Mindy, if you were to give, you know, this is an action-oriented podcast, and one of the things that I want to be able to leave our listeners with is is something that they can can take action on, can do. If you were to, to kind of have a conversation with somebody who's, okay, we, we've piqued their interest, they're not sure, whether they want to make a move or not, but they buy into the one of two things can happen. Either you'll be more in love or, or more committed to your current firm, or you might decide something better might exist and you want to look a little farther into that. If you could make a suggestion as to a first step, one thing that you would advise an advisor to do now, what would be the first step for somebody who's kind of considering what they may want to do next? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the kind words. Again, counseling you, working with you and helping you to live your dream was truly my privilege and honor. But I would, and I appreciate the commercial thank you. And what I'm about to say is not meant to be self-serving at all, but I think I would say it's a two-part action step. And one would be to ask yourself the all important questions, what we would call an honest self-assessment, if you will, and I'm happy to share it with any of your listeners if they want to reach out to me, but it's getting clear, asking the questions, asking yourself the questions, even if you don't share the answers with anybody else, but just getting clear on them yourself to get a sense of what you want to be when you grow up, what's missing from where you are, and or is it good enough? And then the second part is a simultaneous second part, which is really getting educated on their options. Because again, even if you believe today that where you are is the perfect place. It allows you to do everything you need to do and it's more than good enough. Someone like me would never talk you out of that, would never suggest that what you think is right for your business isn't right. I could never know that. Only you know what's best for your business. But at the end of the day, in this greatly evolved landscape, I think a lot of advisors stay put because they presume that there's nothing better. And that's a little sad to me because there's plenty of options. None of us can know whether they're better enough, but I think it's worth getting educated. Everyone should at least understand the options, regardless of whether they have an intention of making a move. Well, I can speak for me. 
and say that uh, I was pretty sure there was something better out there uh, based on where I was at the time. What I didn't know uh, until you uh, helped me visit a couple of places, number one, how much better it was out there, and number two, how many really solid options there were. And so it was, again, it's not to say that there's a, a magic selection for anybody what we found was there were multiple places in fact the two places that that we visited i probably could have been happy at either one of them and and so i think that going through the the steps definitely was was helpful for us to see not only can it be better out there it can be better and and you can kind of have exactly what you want because the two places that we visited were both both good but different and so it gave us an opportunity to see that not only were there expanded capabilities but we could also kind of pick our culture as well so uh, I can definitely attest to that Mindy if listeners have heard something that they like they want to reach out you've mentioned and, and made some gracious offers to be able to share some things what's the best way for our folks to to find or get in touch with you thank you so the firm is diamond consultants our website is diamond dash or diamond hyphen consultants.com they can reach me by email which is m diamond at diamond dash consultants.com or by phone at 908-879-1002 and i'll also tell you that Somebody might be interested in our podcast. It's called Mindy Diamond on Independence. It's available on every podcast, wherever podcasts are found, podcast tools and resources on our website as well. And it's a good, obviously, free way of getting educated about options that exist beyond the traditional space. And we've had thought leaders and mavericks and advisors from all over the landscape on as guests and happy to share that as well. Well, that, you're right. It, it is a tremendous resource. I have really enjoyed it, and it's a great way just to keep up with what the options are. And you know, I would also encourage people to sign up for, uh, if you do visit, again, it's diamond-consultants.com. Sign up for the, uh, I don't know if you call it an email newsletter or what it's called, the list, to be able to get the information because Mindy and, and her team are really good about putting out valuable information just to keep us informed. You know, it, it, that's the biggest thing is just to be aware of, of what's out there. And I think that's a lot of what we've covered today. Well, Mindy, I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back before too long just to kind of update us on what's going on. My pleasure. Thank you. Happy to do so. Thanks. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.